we care about our land more than somebody down in Ottawa. A land code puts the First Nation into the power of government. The biggest point for me is your ability to protect your reserves lands. Former chief of our community had the vision to sign uh, and the guts to sign that framework agreement. Business at the pace of business. The good thing about land code, we don't have to sell it. It sells itself. And welcome to the podcast, Melissa. Great to have you here. Thank you. For those who aren't familiar with Malahat First Nation, maybe put it on the map for us. Yeah, we are located on the south end of Vancouver Island, on the east side of the island, within the Salish Sea. And we're a smaller community, about 350 community members. Uh, About 180 of those uh, live in community. Okay, so the rest off reserve in Vancouver or surrounding areas? Uh, Everywhere. Yeah, you you got it, yeah. (laughs) Cool. And tell me about the work you're doing. You're director of lands, and I mean, the land and the environment has been part of your background. Yeah, it has. So Malahat uh, became operational with their land code in 2015 and have been slowly building their capacity uh, to implement their governance structures under the land code. Some of the biggest uh, focus areas was around economic development to help really support um, you know, that self-sovereignty for the nation. And part of that would mean having a, a development structure so that we could ensure a sustainable development within the community. So that's been the focus uh, so far, is really establishing that structure so that Malahat can sustainably uh, support development in their community. And then as well, a lot of... Uh, Um, planning was really important. So one of the first tools was around a land use plan and getting that in place for the community so that the community's voice was really heard in any of the development that was going to happen in the land. And then also an environmental protection plan so that that environmental stewardship uh, would be integrated into any of the use of the land for the community. Gotcha, okay. Something we're hearing here seems to be a common theme is that, well, it's one thing to have the ability under the land code to create your own laws. But at the other end is, what about enforcement? How can we enforce these laws or bylaws for the benefit of our community? What's your story there at Malahat? Yeah, so when I first started uh, with the community, and I've just been with them since September, um, you know, when we reflected on what the next need would be for the community, we really wanted to be thoughtful around how do we proceed with that angle around protection and enforcement for the community. We know that um, there can be a lot of trauma associated with seeing folks in uniform. And so really wanted to be thoughtful around what is going to work for Malahat uh, community members, administration, um, and and our decision makers or leaders in the community. Uh, So the proposal that went forward that Chief and Council um, approved was to go forward with land guardians. Uh, So this was really the idea of uh, reconnecting those relationships on the land, uh, getting communities back out, uh, boots on the ground, really interacting with uh, the land um, in a way where they could observe and report, um, you know, observe issues around illegal dumping or uh, poaching that might be happening on the land and then coming up with a strategy on how to respond to that in a way that reflected the values um, of the community and not necessarily from that colonial um, perspective on on how enforcement is done um, off reserve. And these are paid positions? Yeah, they are. How many... uh yeah, so we've just uh, we've just hired our two community members now, and so we've got two members right now. We hope to build that, but uh, 
Right now, we wanted to have a team so that they, you know, number one, it's safe safety, right? You, you know, you're out there interacting sometimes in situations that can be emotional. Uh, so we always want to make sure that our community members are safe first. Um, so yeah, team of two right now. And their focus is, uh, you know, it's summer, bear season, <laughs> lots of uh, challenges there. And so that's been our focus uh, right from the get-go, meeting with the conservation officers, getting educational material, and really starting to have those conversations with community around how do we prevent any uh, wildlife interactions in our community. So if we have a lot of attractants with garbage, for example, what can we do to help prevent that so that we can keep that bear safe and keep our community members safe? On the environment side, I know some communities back east have, have had issues with people coming onto the reserve and leaving stuff there that is better served at a landfill somewhere, right? Uh, hypothetical, if that happened in your community, how is that dealt with? Or can you really deal with it? It is a challenge. Uh, Vancouver Island, where we are, uh, we don't have a landfill in, in our um, regional district. Um, so the management of waste is, is costly. So we do see people sometimes dumping because they, you know, they find the, the tipping fees associated with garbage uh, can be a barrier. Um, so it is a challenge that we want to prevent that from happening because as soon as you see some dumping, I don't know if it's just human nature or people think, well, I guess that's acceptable. <laughs> and then you get more garbage. So uh, that was the idea with the land guardians as well. Get out there early. So it's just a few, you know, bags of garbage, hopefully, and we can address that early so that it do doesn't become a financial barrier and burden on the on the nation when those dollars could be used, you know, much better um, on, on another initiative. So the idea is to get them out there find our hotspot zones as well, and then we can constantly be out there looking in those areas and then potentially using some other uh, controls to help prevent that from happening. Do we need to put up some big boulders so that trucks can't get in and they can't dump garbage, right? So by having the land guardians in place, we now have that resource to be preventative so that we're not having to deal with the contamination associated with waste. Some communities uh, here say that they had trouble during the pandemic in enforcing things like blockades or lockdowns. Do you know what the situation was like back then at Malahat? I know you weren't, probably weren't there then, were you? Yeah, uh, so Malahat did have um, uh, a response of community protection that they were uh, working on. You know, and a lot of the communities in, in the area had a lot of patrols, kind of, you know, sort of security, you know, kind of monitoring who was coming and going and just really sharing the idea of we want to protect our community. So they definitely had that in place um, when it was needed. And we do have a BC ferry that comes right through the community. So uh, we do have a lot of interaction and uh, have to manage that and really try to focus on that education piece around really respecting the community members so that we had that safety. Are you surprised that there are so many people here at this conference this week? Like almost 600 or thereabouts? It's incredible to see uh, all these nations coming together, sharing ideas, sharing successes. And I think we don't hear about the successes enough. We are so busy in community going from one fire to the next that we have these successes and we forget to really honor them and, and bring some acknowledgement of it. So it's really great to hear the good work that's happening uh, in these communities all across Canada. It's really inspiring. I sure are. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, my, my notebook is definitely getting filled out. So yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, did you hear anything this morning that inspired you at all? I know Austin Bear kind of started things off with uh, 
laying the groundwork for solutions, finding solutions to some of the problems that communities are having. Yeah, I think the idea of, of having like a coalition or, you know, this this networking coming together, I'm really excited about that. You know, there's over 100 nations across Canada who are land code. We've been doing this for over 20 years. Uh, there's a lot of capacity and I think we work in our smaller nations and and forget to network with our, our, our neighboring communities. And so I think that's really inspiring to me to actually formalize um, an opportunity to have dialogue, be in circle with one another and, and share those ideas. I'm, I'm excited for those opportunities moving forward. So for Malahat Nation, uh, going forward with a land guardian program was our way to be innovative and not just reproduce something that you might find in a municipality. Uh, we really wanted to find something that worked for the community and coming from that idea of prevention and education before coming at it from an enforcement angle. Because the idea is, is that you don't really want to have very many interactions that require enforcement, but you want to have the staff there all the time for when they're needed. It's kind of like emergency management as well. You never want to have an emergency, but you really want to have that resource when the emergency happens. So the idea with the land guardian was that you know, their role was more... Uh, holistic in their approach and really taking that stewardship angle so being out on the land observing the you know how are the cedars doing today where you know where are medicinal plants growing oh those invasive species are really taking over having that but then when there was a community safety concern then they're available to respond to that there's a barren community oh i need to contact the the conservation officer right so really you know looking at it from that blend um, and then also being there from that um, to do some of the cultural monitoring. So we have a lot of development that happens in our in our territories. How do we make sure that the the cultural uh, elements are acknowledged when we're doing that work? And then when you know there might be um, say an archaeological uh, you know feature found, you know having members there that can speak to that, make sure the right people are there and the right protocols are put in place. So. The idea with our guardians is that they're creating this really holistic approach to stewardship, which is different than taking more of that enforcement angle, so that we are there first for protection and stewardship and second for enforcement, but really important to have those resources. And so because it's not a funded position, we always have to find ways to be creative as well. So that was our ability to you know, use resources from some of our other environmental protection um, funding and, and really create this um, you know, more holistic approach to, to how we wanted to go forward with land stewardship at Malahat Nation. Communication, regardless of the size of the community, uh, is vital to the success of any program. I'm just wondering how you handled that at Malahat. How did you get out there and talk to youth? How did you get elders involved in determining where you wanted to go with this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, you know, a lot of this comes from our, our council. You know, they're really there to be the voice of the community and, and the concerns. So it was really driven by, you know, some of the issues that they had had you know, heard from community members. So that was really the uh, driving force for us um, and wanting to do things different. And then again, because Malahat had done so much work around these um, 
uh, planning documents, so our land use plan, all community driven, all supported you know, by the words of our elders and, and community members and, and our youth, uh, our uh, comprehensive community plan and our environmental management plan. That's really the voice of the community and that gives us the framework on how we're going to move forward on any of the initiatives uh, in administration. So that was key to have that work done so that I can step into the role and all I have to do is, is really just facilitate the good work that's already been identified by the community. Yeah, all that planning and then as we were talking earlier, capacity. I mean, do you have the capacity to do that and to keep doing it? Capacity is a challenge. Uh, you know, when you're a small nation, uh, you know, you don't have a lot of funding. And so you're constantly trying to figure out how best to use that funding. So again, that's where the, the creativity has to come in and leveraging what already exists in your area. I'm a big advocate of not reinventing the wheel and leveraging resources that already exist for the benefit of the nation. So if I'm going to go in and work with a bylaw officer in the regional district, great. They can do a certain part of the role and then we can take what we need to serve community um, and really leverage those resources. So that's really been the approach for us is working and partnering as best we can with those other jurisdictions so that we um, can leverage the resources that we need to make sure that the community's um, needs and visions are met first without having to be constrained by the financial uh, restrictions that we have. I love your enthusiasm. Malahat's <laughs> lucky to have you. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for being on the show. Absolutely. Stay tuned as we bring you further coverage from the National Conference on the Enforcement of First Nation Laws. Look for updated social media links and website content I'll put a link in the show notes to the conference website in particular, where you'll find a wealth of resource materials and follow-up information. It's all about finding solutions and taking real steps to restoring Indigenous justice systems. Thank you for continuing to support the Land Decolonized podcast and for sharing it with friends and colleagues. I'm Richard Perry.